Two crees in a pod. Two crees in a pod. Natani means. Yeah. Let's go. They pushed us to this point, frustrations of a common man Manifest the destiny, preach and pledge the promised land I'm stuck between taking my journey, live with no honor Like what's the use of my kids, can't taste clean water A child born into a world, revolution's not a choice Fighting to be heard, so we make them hear our voice Remember ancestors, anguish, lightning in our veins Hear it in a language when they are kissing for the rain I am product of people that persevere, persecution Paint me so creator sees me if I go out shooting Experience our pain when our women disappear daily Anxious to be angry, pacifists might hate me Trolls on the internet constantly trying to bait me We move in silence, cover of the night Learning from the wolves in the forest Tracking enemies in the woods Reincarnations of warriors riding for salvation Or are we false prophets when we submit to temptation? Colonization is a hell of a drug We all seem to go crazy when we fall in love I said colonization is a hell of a drug We all seem to go crazy when we fall in love I said Welcome to Two Crees in a Pod. I biggest My name is Amber Dion, and I am from the Kihiwan Cree Nation here in Treaty Six Territory. I'm a mother, a social worker, and assistant professor with McEwen University School of Social Work, and I'm joined by my lovely co-host. Welcome, my name is Terry Sungens. I'm from Salt Lake Cree Nation, and I'm the Director of Indigenous Initiatives in Kihiwetsin at McEwen University. We are so honored that you chose to join us today. So welcome to another episode of Two Crees in a Pod. Uh, we're really excited to have Colleen Hill Cardinal join us today. Um, I have a personal connection to Colleen. I'm going to let her introduce herself, but I just want to share with all our listeners. Um, when I met Colleen, it was actually at the Blue Quills uh, University Culture Camp uh, two years ago. Um, and I was called over, I was, I was at the culture camp, um, and I was called over. There was, there was in a, in the basement of the camp, there was elders sitting together with, with Colleen and, uh, late Eugene Cardinal, uh, called me over and he said, come here. And uh, I want to introduce you to somebody. She's a relative of yours. Uh, and so I knelt, I knelt down with them, um, and was introduced to Colleen and, uh, Colleen, uh, we're actually closely related on my father's side. Um, and so we were able to uh, connect and stay connected since. Um, I've also read your book, Raised Somewhere Else, which was a really tough book to read, um, but also seen, it was also, I guess, in a, in a way, a connection for me um, because there was family that was mentioned um, in that in that film in that film in that in that book um, and so yeah uh, so welcome Colleen I'll let you take some time just to introduce yourself for sure thank you for having me thank you for that wonderful memory oh my gosh that was an amazing time yes um, so my name's Colleen Heal um, that's my adopted name I prefer to be called Colleen Cardinal. Um, legally, it's Colleen Hill. I am uh, Neheal Iskwe from Satellite First Nation, and I am a mother. First and foremost, I am a mother of four grown children and a grandmother, Kokum, of four granddaughters. Um, I live in Ottawa, Ontario, Canada, and I am a 60 Scoop survivor. I am the daughter 
a residential school survivor. Um, I am also a family member of two missing and murdered Indigenous mm-hmm. women that were actually from Saddle Lake. So my sister and my sister-in-law, Lynn Jackson. Um, so it's taken a long time to actually form my story, heal from my story, and actually able to like give it back to something where I can help inform people uh, like 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 yourself, mm-hmm. uh, relatives from my community, but also in general Canadians. Um, so I wrote a book. I uh, just launched a, a GIS mapping um, uh, project to map all the 60 scoop survivors taken across the world. And um, I started a little organization here in Ottawa for 60 scoop survivors. We've had four national gatherings. And um, I do it all because it means a lot to me. It's very mm-hmm. personal to my heart. Mm-hmm. So, thank nice. you for having me. Thank you, Colleen. Um, again, really honored to have you join us today for a conversation. Uh, one of the things that we would like to uh, ask if, uh, if you're able to uh, share what you, which, whatever you would like in regards to what the 60 scoop is. Um, we have, I teach in a social work program and uh, we have lots of folks that come into our social work program who aren't aware of the 60 scoop. Mm-hmm. And so um, it's, it's, uh, it's important for all Canadians, uh, all folks, to know what the 60 Scoop is um, and how it has impacted our families. And so could you share a little bit, Colleen, around what the 60 Scoop is? For sure. Okay, so I didn't learn about the 60 Scoop until I was about 29 years old when I went to college. And it was only because I had access to higher education that I learned about it. And first and foremost, I'll just say the 60 scoop is like a slang word for an era where thousands of Indigenous children were taken from our communities, surrendered under duress, and displaced to foster homes and adoptive homes globally. So we've been taken everywhere, interprovincially, interprovincially across borders and overseas. Um, the 60 scoop is not really talked about as the 60 scoop in our communities. It's actually referred to as those children who were taken away or Mm. those children who were raised somewhere else. That is not a common phrase used in our community or on in First Nation communities. They don't even know what the 60 scoop is. So when we talk about it, they're like, I don't know what that is. But if you talk about the children that were taken away in the 60s, 70s and 80s, they know what that is. it's, it's very similar to the residential school where it's not really talked about a lot because of the pain, the anger, the, the grief and the shame that's attached to it. So uh, as much as Canadians don't know about it, we have, you know, a lot of First Nation, Métis and Indigenous people or um, Inuit people that don't know about the 60s scoop. So what we're learning is that over 22,500 children were taken and displaced across Canada and the world. And not only did it, we lose our cultural identity um, and our identity as um, Nehia, um, Anishinaabe, Inuit, you name it. Uh, we were very much assimilated into the white culture. So you could say we were brainwashed our spirituality was brainwashed into religion. Um, our language, everything was gone. In fact, 
a lot of us grew up not even knowing we were native until we were teenagers or until we experienced racism. So a lot of harm was done. And then we are forced faced with the reality of, you know, growing up in all white environments and finally, you know, repatriating with families if we're lucky and experiencing culture shock once again, because we don't have any understanding of what's happened to our families, the context of residential school and the history of, of, of what's really happened to our families and why they're self-medicating with it, with, um, alcohol and solvents and so on. So it's, it's a lot for people to, um, to take in. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, I try to be as gentle as I can, because I can go on for days about how harmful the 60 scoop has been to people. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, not only did it impact us as survivors, as us being taken away, but I can't imagine the amount of pain and suffering that our parents went through and our estranged families, their grief of not ever seeing us again, uh, the shame of having your children taken away, the anger and helplessness of not being able to find your children or have help. I can't imagine what that was like for these parents. Mm -hmm. So they've been affected. And then the adopted parents who adopted Indigenous children who they were not equipped to raise so many children in their culture. They had no idea what to do. Never mind the fact that they were like, some of them were absolutely awful to the children, to us. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of layers to the 60s scoop. And a lot of people don't know that the federal government and the provincial government worked hand in hand at making sure that we were adopted out. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it was, what are they, what's that word? It was benevolent, benevolent. Mm-hmm. And but I don't think so. I think it was deliberate and a way mm-hmm. to um, remove us from our lands. Um, and so we'd never care about where we came from. We'd never hold them to task for the treaties, to honor those treaties. Mm-hmm. So there, it, there's a lot of layers. Mm-hmm. And I love that you, you mentioned that, Colleen, in regards to um, the impact uh residential school and the 60s group um, have had on our communities and our families um, because I don't think necessarily and, and and we've talked about this me and Amber before um, but it's not necessarily we oftentimes in in, in the truth telling that happens um, we focus a lot on the impacts it's had on the children um, but we forget about what our communities look like and as a mom as both of us being a mom um, you know, and, and, and reflecting back to my father uh, when he was taken from his family and their communities, what, what that looked like in our communities um, when our children would be taken uh, in the fall and the trauma and the grief and the loss that our families went through and then how that has been intergenerational in um in, in our own traumas, uh, intergenerational trauma, in a sense of um, how that continues to impact us today. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so thank you for sharing that, because I think that's important as well to focus on is, is the, it's, it's not necessarily just the, the survivors. Um, it was our parents. And, and there's mar- many people who are listening who are parents. And so to sit and imagine your children being taken from you forcibly um, or not being able to see your children uh, again, and what that would do to you as a person, um, 
is it also important to understand mm -hmm. so thank you for that yeah, I think like it's really important to give context to understanding that, you know, we just weren't like plucked off the reserve for no reason. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, a lot of our parents had experienced residential school and were also experiencing trauma, unresolved trauma from that and, and institutionalization, you know, not being taught how to extend love or care or um, how to raise children. You know, there's a, there's a huge context of missing from conversation of how so many children ended up in foster care um and and what the canadian mind believes is that you know our parents neglected us they were drunks and this and that well yeah maybe so but there is always context for that right mm -hmm. and a lot of what happened to our parents has is not even their fault they mm -hmm. were just trying to cope with the unimaginable horrors that have happened to them because of residential school, because of the sugar beet farms, because of mm -hmm. all those things, those awful things that have happened to our families. So it's really important to give context to that. Um, and, and it's taken me years to learn. So I can't imagine what it's like for folks who are just learning, you mm -hmm. know, how infuriating it can be. Yeah. And I, I use um, the stories of Indian residential schools and uh, the 60 scoop in my social work classrooms to describe that's where that's where social work began. Those are the early roots of social work is where social workers were coming into communities and were being asked to remove children uh, from homes. And whether they were called social workers or not, that is where the roots of social work started. And so uh, one of the things that, you know, we're we're lucky today as social workers is that we get a new perspective and that we can practice differently. Um, and so, but I remind students to never forget that that is where the roots of social work came from in this country was from the legal kidnapping of children um, in either taken to Indian residential schools or, um, or sent off globally and within the country to, for adoption. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, social work. So I, I actually took social work too. I did about two and a half years and I burnt out. Mm, yeah. <laughs> mostly, mostly because what I was learning in school wasn't being reflected in my work. So mm -hmm. what I found out was, you know, I did a lot of protecting the institution more than actually helping my clients. And I was starting to get really angry. Mm. <laughs> so I'm like, I'm getting burnt out. So I better take a step back. But what I wanted to share also was, you know, we talk about the past and how the 60 Scoop has, um, you know, impacted survivors and our families. But what another, like, one of the things I do when I do presentations in classes is talk about how it's connected to so many other, it, it's so intersectional, right? And how missing and murdered Indigenous women plays into it and um uh, incarceration, overrepresentation of incarceration and HIV and the examples I use are, um, I'm going to share a little story with you. So uh, just recently this past year, some folks in the United States got a hold of me and they help find identities of, uh, they do DNA matching for John and Jane Doe's. So they had a woman who was killed in, uh, they had the DNA of a woman who was killed in uh, California in the 80s. And they believe that she was part of the 60 scoop hmm. because DNA traced back to Hobima. Wow. And, but she had tattoos on her body 
from Seattle and different locators of where she, her journey came from. So I know when I lived out West, cause I lived out in Edmonton for 10 years, a lot of people migrated to the West, to the East coast and then down uh, to California, wherever. Um, and back then it was kind of a little bit more carefree than it is now when it comes to crossing the borders and traveling, excuse me. Um, so they're trying to find her relatives and they're trying to find her name mm-hmm. and and what, there, what, what we're realizing is that a lot of us, a lot of 60 Scoop survivors have gone missing and have been murdered, um, specifically Indigenous women, because mm-hmm. a lot of us fled very violent homes um, to escape physical and sexual violence and ended up, you know, becoming um, street folks where we were living off the street you know, doing what we needed to survive, whether it was sex work or becoming street involved and, you know, ending up in worse situations than we were living in at home. So Mm -hmm. a lot of us, you know, have either been incarcerated, have been gone missing or murdered. And that's a really important, crucial part of like giving context to those issues because people are always saying like, how come so many women have gone missing and murdered? And I'm like, because of the violence in Canada, right? Like, mm-hmm. you know, and then the incarceration, you know, like we, as children, you know, we're in these inescapable situations with no venting for that rage and it has to go somewhere. And it could be just the click, you know, we had that fight or flight where you know, we're confronted and we're in a, we're in a fight for our lives sometimes and we end up hurting somebody or killing somebody and mm-hmm. end up in prison for the rest of our lives. Mm-hmm. So I think about how many 60 scoop survivors have ended up in prison because of uh, misdirected rage or undiagnosed or unresolved grief and trauma, uh, which is still very much part of <laughs> what we deal with today in our community. So there's so many different layers of you know, talking about the 60s scoop, and I feel like it's not talked about enough. You know, the residential school survivors have had a lot of due process, and rightly so, but I feel like the 60s scoop survivors really need a platform and a, and a voice and representation, and I feel like the settlement has just been a payoff to silence us. Yeah. And there was the apology uh, to 60 scoop survivors. Uh, what are your, I saw your facial reaction. Can you talk about that, Colleen? I did a presentation at Blue Quills mm-hmm. and watched the apology live. And I was just like, okay, so they apologized. But I just actually read it the other day because I was comparing it to uh, the Manitoba one and the Saskatchewan that recently came out. And the Alberta apology was the only one that didn't acknowledge that children were taken out of the province and overseas. It's the only one. The Manitoba one acknowledged it and the Saskatchewan acknowledged it. And I'm just like, what the heck? Like, most of the children that live in Ontario are from Alberta. Mm -hmm. And most of the children from the Western provinces are from Alberta. Because at that time, Ontario was considered affluent. So they brought a lot of the children down here. And the West was considered the wild, wild West back then. So I'm just like, you know, as much as I would like a national apology, I would prefer if they asked us for forgiveness hmm. and if they asked our families for forgiveness hmm. for what they've done to us. And we're not there yet. Um, and I think people want an apology, but I think what we deserve is for them to ask us for forgiveness hmm. and for 
come and sit with us in ceremony mm-hmm. and come to us instead of us going to them and to their colonial structures. Yes. So I, I don't know how I'll feel about an apology. Yeah. 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 I, uh, <laughs> oh, I, I, I'm, I get, I'm getting goosebumps. Like I get goosebumps just listening to you, Colleen. Um, and, and, and I know that that's, that's an emotional reaction that's happening. For wait, me. wait till you read her book. <laughs> <laughs> I was sitting, I think I read it in one sitting. I couldn't put it down yeah. and it was, it was emotional. It was, it was so emotional for me. And as it should be. Right. And I think about Leona Makoka says this all the time. She says it's the emotional gateway. When we get into folks emotions, when we tap into that emotional gateway, things shift for us. They change. We see things differently. We can we can empathize with folks that maybe we typically never would have empathized with before. And so I think that. Thank you for that. Thank you for for engaging me emotionally, um, because that is where I I learn something new. I learn something different, and I'm open to listening and open. Not that I was ever resistant, but I just have this new understanding. Just hearing you speak, Colleen, and so I'm I'm really appreciative of that. Um, oh, you're welcome. Well, it's important. I mean, it's important to talk about things sometimes outside of the box, right? Because you would think because of the settlement, the next uh, a step would be just an apology. But I'm so tired of meaningless apologies. Chimax, Chimax, Chimax apologies. Lista. They're like the state apologies. There's a there's a whole way yeah. that they do it. There's a whole book about it, right? Mm-hmm. And it, I just it needs to come from the heart, and it needs to mean something to us. And if it's not that, then we don't need it. Um, so. Yeah. That's how I feel about that. So uh, I might want you to edit out that stuff in, about this is, uh, <laughs> I don't know. They don't really like me. So hey, hey, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. I got your back, Kelly. Um, you talked about it earlier, but we would love to hear more about the interactive map. Is that, sorry, can you remind us what, it, what it's called and can you talk about that? For sure. It's, uh, so it's GIS interactive map. So GIS stands for Geographical Information System. And it's a, a virtual digital map, a real-time map, where survivors can um, actually put in where they're from and where they've been taken to in the world. And so they can put their a marker in for their birth, where their point of origin from birth is. Uh, and also like every single foster home that they went to. And then um, for each part of that journey, they can actually like write a little bit about it or they can upload a photo if they have an adoption photo or whatever. You can also even upload um, a link to YouTube or you can upload a video from your your phone um, to your profile. Hmm. So what will happen is um, you'll have blue markers for point of origin. You'll have yellow markers to show their journeys. And then you'll have an orange marker to talk about your repatriation. So if you were, if you actually came back to your community and have met your family in that, then you can talk about that and show photos and whatever. But um, it, it, it's, it's a process. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's taken many, many years to get to this point uh, because people don't value GIS mapping in the sense of storytelling. 
so it's not considered art so it was really hard to get funding for it um and and so it's come in piecemeal funding where you know i got a little bit of money so i was able to pay the developer to do this and the developer to do more so there's a lot of coding behind the scenes but what happens is when they put their information in there the map automatically auto populates it Mm -hmm. so you get a story a virtual story and um it can also is a, a platform for them to sell to to show their displacements it's a platform for them to share their story and it's a platform to search and find other survivors so if we have biological families looking for loved ones or vice versa you can put on your profile that you want to be contacted you or and vice versa you are complete control of your information hmm. if you don't want to be identified so there's a button on there that says show displacement it's it's yellow and what you're seeing is displacements all over the world so you're seeing i think there's about 25 stories up there now maybe a little bit more but what you're seeing is people have been taken to new zealand and australia Uh, a friend of mine grew up in uh, botswana africa for a little while i know somebody who's taken to singapore I know of survivors that have been taken all over the world. Wow. And so it's starting people as people add their stories, you're seeing these lines from each province. So each province is color coded. So BC is red and Alberta is another color and Manitoba is another color. So it's very striking. And what I'm finding is Canadians are absolutely shocked when they see this because they think the 60 scoop only happened here in Canada. Mm-hmm. in our communities they don't know that we were trafficked across and i and traffic some people say it's a strong word but that's exactly what it was we were trafficked to mm-hmm. the canadians child welfare policies to the provincial child welfare policies so um i've been working amnesty has partnered with me amnesty international has partnered to help get that get that word out there because we are looking for survivors that are overseas um that don't know that they're part of the 60s scoop mm-hmm. because that's like I said, 60s scoop is not a common word for people who've been taken out of country. Right, right. Um, <clears throat> is there is there anything uh, as we kind of look at wrapping up our conversation? Two things: what are some of the ways that we can support? So whether that be social work, whether that be community members, whether that be you know the greater population, what are some of the ways that we can support the initiative? Um, or, you know, how, how do we support the work that you do, Colleen? Um, and is there anything that you want our listeners to know? I think one of the, like, one of the things I really advocate for is um, people always want to know what they can do to help. And I always tell them to start with yourself, to unlearn your own shit. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if you can put that word there, but oh, oh yeah. yeah, it really starts with us and unlearning our own shit. So I grew up in a racist, homophobic home, and I had to unlearn all that stuff. Mm-hmm. I had to unlearn internal racism too. And then when you when you work it on yourself, you work on your family, and your friends, and your community. And we, we can't change the world in one day, but it just we have to work on ourselves first in our families, in our communities. So by unlearning and relearning and reclaiming our culture, that helps. Um, yeah, I really, uh, I need this map to be sustainable. I need it to, to, to be shared as often. For it to be successful, mm-hmm. it needs to be shared. And, and um, what do you call that? Uh, I need it to go viral. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so, 
so that we can reach survivors and, and their families. Um, and I need for the 60 Scoop, uh, their voices, for survivors' voices and their families, especially their parents and extended families, to be prioritized in conversations. Um, and I think that's about it. I just, mm. I would really love if people could go visit. If they have questions, they can send me an email. And if you want to learn about the 60 Scoop, just ask. Mm-hmm. I will tell you. Well, thank you, Colleen. Uh, definitely when we post and publish this podcast, we will make sure to add the link to the podcast as well so that people know where to go. And we'll definitely share that information. Mm-hmm. I just want to thank you for joining us today. Um, it's a real honor. And um, I'm so proud of you in the work you. that you have done and the advocacy Um, It's really, truly inspiring um, to us. And so thank you for for doing that really important work. And we're just so happy that you were able to join us today. Hi, hi. Thank you for having me. It's awesome to meet both of you. And I hope to see you at Culture Camp next year, whenever (laughs) I can try again. Yes. um, Awesome. Thank Thank you, you. Colleen. Thank you. Two Crees in a Pod.